You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to. That's the only way to make the work better, no matter what business you're in. Diversity and inclusion can be touchy. It can be overcomplicated and sometimes very nuanced and hard to get to grips with. And that is everything we hope this podcast won't be. Welcome to the Digest from Diversely, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists and advocates of DNI, understanding their journey and motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as the ways in which they're currently doing just that. My name's Helen Maguire and I've been in this space for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversely, which is a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity. And I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But what I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to this sometimes tricky and deep topic. In this episode, we're meeting advertising firebrand Joe R. Scott. Joe was Britain's first female black creative director and has worked all over the world as a mentor, advertising guru, and all-round creative genius. Without giving the game away, Joe's achieved incredible things in the competitive male-dominated landscape of advertising all her working life and in many different locations. She's an award-winning, award-judging force to be reckoned with and now spends much of her time giving talks, training, and mentorship and support to those coming up the ranks. Welcome, Joe, to The Digest. Hey, Helen, thank you for that. I will guru, I'll accept that, thanks. (laughs) Well, it wasn't on your LinkedIn description, but I decided to give it to you anyway. I accept fully. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So look, I mean, you know, full disclosure, Joe and I have known each other a little while. Um, Joe is a a member of our global advisory board at Diversely, and rightfully so. And I wanted to kind of wind the clock back. I'd normally start these um, these conversations with asking a little bit about where you are now. But actually, um, your journey has been uh, such a kind of impactful and quite unbelievable one in many ways. So um, would you mind sort of explaining how and where and when it all began for you? Yeah, very weird. Hey, Helen. I mean, it began in 85, which is well back. Margaret Thatcher was still the leader <laughs> and, and, and women, she was my role model, I'm not going to lie, forget the politics, she was a strong woman, so she was my uh, a role model in a male-dominated world and that's what I was in advertising, a girl in a male-dominated creative world and um, to be honest with you, advertising has been the best roller coaster ride of my life, it has and the diversity and inclusion has changed throughout the periods and you know I put my, my I've told you before I put it into kind of three stages like London when I was young then it was in America for 10 years and then it was in the Middle East so and now back to to the UK again it's it's incredible what you learn along the way is amazing yeah and I remember we first spoke about this um, back in 85 86 um, you were one of the only um, women in advertising, never mind black women. Mm. You were the only women in advertising. I think it was one of five, you said. Mm. Absolutely true. There was me, me, Joe, and then there was another Joe, and ironically, she was mixed race as well. But at the time, you didn't see your colour because 
I know this sounds really strange to say, but colour wasn't an issue back then. It was more that you're a woman was the issue. You know, strong women. Because it, it was a Dave Trot kind of boys club of, you know, playing football and drinking all day and all that. So lots of the girls during that early period turned themselves into kind of boys, ladettes. You remember the ladette phrase? To kind of join in. Whereas I was the opposite. I wore fairy skirts and feather boas. I thought, stuff this for a lark. I'm a girl. I love this industry. It's fabulous. And what, what did that mean for you on a day-to-day basis? I mean, how, how did you get around the fact that it was very male-dominated? To be honest, I didn't think about it. I was yeah. just being me from the beginning. Because to be honest, I was probably very naive. And I probably didn't see at that stage the politics of the industry you know I was in Saatchi and Saatchi for heaven's sake and you know it was the most inclusive and actually one of the most diverse departments at that time with John Pallant, Dave Droger I mean if you look back at that department it's incredibly diverse with colour, race, sexuality it, it really was before its time and we talk about it now um, so I just just thought, gosh, this is somewhere I, I feel I can belong and I can be me and I can do what I want. And I did. And, and it was fabulous. And, and do you think that partly stems from, uh, let's say, the, the neurodiversity that was going on there as well? I mean, if you're not um, actively looking at the, the exterior of diversity, let's say, um, how, how was the thinking within that department? W- was that also fairly diverse or did you all come from, you know, sing from the same hymn sheet, essentially? I think we were all just doing a job and colour and race kind of didn't come into it. It was just being great creatives or great account people. Yeah. And I think it was a, a unique period in time. It disappeared very quickly, trust me. But I think it was a unique period in time, but it but it kind of set me up to how I believed I feel the industry should be and how I believe with my departments and my career. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit about when that did change, because I know that had a big impact on you. I think for me... Um, I think for me, when I moved to the States, I was poached to go to the States uh, for Momentum to work for Coca-Cola in Atlanta. And I'd never really thought about my colour. Of course, I knew I was mixed race, but I didn't really think about my colour. It was about just doing a really great job. For those who don't work in the advertising industry or who aren't part of, of, of that kind of world, what did that role look like so so why do you think that they poached you in the first place obviously you you must have been quite good at your job for them to do that (laughs) the color of your skin but um what you know what were you actually doing um in that space at that point so this was kind of around 2006 right absolutely yeah i was poached because i was one of the few creatives who could tell a creative story through all media from billboards to digital to direct mail to in store to packaging and not many creatives can tell a full story they get very sectionalized but you know through my experience early on I somehow was able to tell a story through all media because I actually lived it in real agencies so of course I was hired for my experience Mm. but looking back I kind of think oh there may have been a, a separate thing and 
do you know what? It's the best thing that ever happened to me because you realise you teach people and you learn from it, people. Um, one of my clients who looked after Sprite said, Joe, do you think the agency kind of hired you because of your colour? And I'd never thought of it till then. And I thought, well, maybe, I don't know. And he said, do you know what? Just because you're black British doesn't mean you understand African-American. But do you know what? Half a mile down the road is Martin Luther King's doorstep. Go sit on it and go talk to his neighbours. So that's what I did for two days in a row. And it's the best experience and teaching experience of my life. As in to step out of your comfort zone, talk to people, hear stories. And once you learn about their stories and their experience, you can then put it back into your work. Creativity or any business has to be inclusive. It has to represent the people you're talking to. And I think you can't just look at um, on a bit of paper, consumer 24 to 25 of this, you know, racial origin. You've got to go out there and speak and learn and get emotional in. It was fabulous. And they gave you time to do that, I guess. Was, was that sort of part of the role, essentially? They didn't give me time. I took the time. Um, but they were incredibly understanding. So I took the time to do that. And then every job since then, I do that. I go, sit, I talk, I listen, I learn. Because it's better than just a strategy note on a bit of paper. You've got, you've got to work with people that sometimes you don't understand. It might make you feel uncomfortable. I mean, this is strange in the American South. You know, my girl creatives, you know, had guns in their cars. Some of the boys called me Miss Joe, And I was the only person of colour in that department. And I hired more in. But it was just... You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to. That's the only way to make the work better, no matter what business you're in. And talk to me a little bit about what some of those things you discovered were. I mean, that that paints a very um, vivid picture in my mind of, you know, Atlanta at that point, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, as you say, Martin Luther King um, just down the road and, and, and everything that happened around that. What what did you see in the States at that point in time, particularly in the South? Um, and, and how do you think that's changed over time as well? Yeah. At that time, um, it was just before Obama was coming in as president. So times were kind of shifting. And when I mixed, when I when I lived with the kind of African American community, what I learned from them was family, trust, belief, history, love. Oh, and gosh, good food. Oh my goodness, good food. <laughs> and what I learned from that community is, what one is it made me look at myself and made me think. So who am I? Because, you know, I'm mixed raced, I'm adopted, so I don't know, I know who my mother is, but I don't know who my father is. And it made me look at myself and it made you realise how important it is to have identity and history and to feel proud of who you are. And I think that's what Atlanta did. It taught me and the people I mixed with, oh my goodness, is to be proud of who you are and because when that shows, it shows in everything you do. 
And I think now, when I look back at Atlanta now, of course, things have changed since George Floyd, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole of America has changed since then. But uh, yeah, that was to me was it was just like the most amazing experience of learning about the importance of appreciating people's differences. Yeah, and, and in terms of you know how that showed up, I guess from then on in your work, you mentioned that you were the first person of colour um, in that department. Um, what changed from then on? Because, you know, when, when you speak about people calling you Miss Jo, it just, it just has ho- kind of horrible resonances, really. Um, did, did that change in the period you were there? Did you see people's attitudes change because of what you brought to the table? Oh, absolutely. My, you know, the creative department was so ready for change they they were just everyone's a human being right and they were ready for change they were ready for inspiration and they accepted me fully and what i taught them from what i knew in london they loved and most of those creators i'm still in touch with today and i think that kind of says a lot you know when you're still in touch with people you've worked with no matter you know what age no matter what caste no matter what color and from there, from Atlanta, I moved to Fayetteville in Arkansas. And a lot of my friends told me not to go there. They said, you know, the KKK is deep down there. Don't go there. You you, you won't like it. You know, this is even deeper than yeah. Atlanta. But it was the, oh, my God, I miss it so much. I love <laughs> living there. I, I, I think it's how you present yourself as a human being, I think, is half of it be honest with you you can't change history you know Fayetteville where I worked um it's a sundown town and I didn't know what a sundown town was but a sundown down sundown town means that if you go out if you're a person of color and you go out after eight o'clock you basically kind of get shot (laughs) or hung (laughs) and that only changed not not that long before I moved there and I was kind of hesitant and I remember, you know, going into a KKK cafe for lunch. My creators took me there. I thought they thought it'd be quite funny. Actually, it was kind of quite funny. But I'm walking in there and seeing their faces. But what I have learned is everyone is human and it's how you conduct yourself and what you bring to the table and, you know, culture and learning and moving on and making it better is the most important thing. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned the fact that you're not 100% certain of, of what your heritage exactly is. You, you know that you're mixed race, obviously, as you mentioned, you know mm. who your father is, you're not sure who your father is. Um, mm. So geographically speaking, you're not quite sure what your heritage exactly is. And you also mentioned at the beginning a certain element of naivety, which I think many of us carry when we first go into the workplace. Um, do you think that, that those factors had any bearing on on your entrance, let's say, into the American market? You know, how you carried yourself and, and what your upbringing was like, essentially? I'll be honest with you. I think I was accepted because of the British accent. Right. Because people may see you and judge you, but as soon as you open your mouth, oh, you're British, oh my God, the royal family. Suddenly you're, suddenly you're, you're 
for Harry. Suddenly you're hugely accepted. Um, so I think being British was a, well, it wasn't just a big help. It almost made you like a rock star. And that was also a lot to get your head round. So you have so many, when you work in kind of these multicultural countries, uh, as an expat, it just, there's so much to get your head round that you never, as you know, never would have dreamt in a million years. Yeah, and, and I guess it allowed you in a way to be almost completely objective about the whole thing. Um, because even though you may, you know, you're in the deep south, you are in inverted commas, um, potentially a target, let's say, or a potential victim mm-hmm. of, of discrimination. Um, and yet you managed somehow to sit outside of that bubble, would you say? Yeah, I mean, my creatives, you just reminded me of something. When I first moved there, my creative department said to me, Atlanta has a motorway, which is like a circle that goes around the whole of the city. And outside of it is, for want of a better word, kind of a little bit hillbilly. And so they always say, never go out to the perimeter. It's a saying in, in Atlanta, do not go out to the perimeter. And the whole time I was there, I actually never went out of the perimeter. And when you look back on that in itself, you're thinking, my goodness, how strange. What a strange concept when you've grown up in kind of rural England, Cotswolds, and uh-huh. suddenly you're told not to go out of the perimeter because people can't protect you if you go out of the perimeter but um sorry i forgot the i forgot your question (laughs) (laughs) no i i I think i think i I forgot my question now as well but it's probably quite relevant to be honest but i think the, the the concept of having those divisions let's say you know I, I think my my point was you sat outside the bubble of racial divisions or you certainly put yourself outside of that bubble almost deliberately but yet you know as per your story you chose not to put yourself outside those divisions where um let's say um class is concerned potentially which which is quite interesting well class is a whole other thing i mean mm. African-American in Atlanta are very rich middle class on the whole. And that was a shock to me. Coming from England in the you know early years um, where the black British are in a lower kind of pay scale and going into Atlanta where you suddenly see, you go to a restaurant and 90% of the people of clientele are African-American and wealthy. Even that, that was in my interview stage, rocked my world. Yeah. I, I think you could, I just wish everybody could experience more and accept more because the wonderfulness that comes from it is more than you could kind of even really imagine. And do you regret not going outside the perimeter now when you look back? Oh, no way. No <laughs> way. Not in a million years. I, I never wanted to go outside that perimeter. <laughs> that, that's a, that was a step too far. Yeah, no. Okay. No. So, so just fast forward a little bit. So you, you're in the States, as you mentioned, for, for 10 years and obviously lapped up that experience um, a, a, as much as you possibly could and, and managed to change things within your department and, and change perspectives and points of view and so on. Um, yes. where, where was your next move? Then I went to Arkansas. 
and I went to Chicago. These are all very brief, like one year, two years. I said Arkansas was very, uh, don't go there, went there, best experience of my life. Chicago at that time was very, um, it was a city. I moved there because I wanted to go to a city after being in the country for so many years. But it, it was very hostile against people of colour at that time. And so I was, that's, I think, I guess that's probably the first time I became aware of my colour and hiring. I think it's probably the first time. And I was going out with the chief of police, which also kind of gives you a whole perspective of the reality that you wouldn't normally get. Um, then from there, um, I came back to England, didn't know where I fitted in at all. And then I was poached by JWT to go to the Middle East, to Oberon, um, uh, the Middle East and, you know, North Africa. And that changed my life again. Like, you can't predict. Changed my life again for, for the better. And do you, did, did any of those experiences in the States, I mean, that you know, the slightly unsettling experience of Chicago, coming back to the UK then and, and you know, having been an expat for, for 10 years and had all the experience you did and then not feeling like you fitted in. How did that affect you from a confidence perspective then going into another whole new territory? Oh, at that point, my confidence was semi-okay. And I say that because the second time I came back to the UK, it went through the floor. Um, it was semi-okay because I'd had such a lovely experience in the States, even with the things that you could class as negative, they, I class them as learning experiences. And I literally only had a wonderful time there, but I learned the negative stuff, which is huge, you know, the race, religion, gender, the stuff I saw with, you know, <laughs> with alternative lifestyle and crosses on wheels and you know, stuff you can't even imagine you would ever see or even experience and I remember coming out of a theatre one day in, in Arkansas with a friend of mine and um, she was from New York more bullshit than me and they had signs up from this church going women shouldn't be going to the theatre you should be at home cooking for your husbands I walked past at that point I, I just learned to walk past she let loose it was it I'm really proud of her to be honest but so <laughs> when I came back to England I looked at all the jobs and the bottom line is what, what can what can excite you after a worldly experience like that? Mm. All the jobs seemed very bland and very boring, and the, 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 the people I was interviewing with hadn't lived my life. They, they, they didn't understand my life, and I think that is actually a critical bit when hiring. Um, they didn't understand my life. So I could say something, and they didn't understand it, and then I got embarrassed, and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I just didn't know where I fitted in. I really, really didn't. And I, I thought, Do you know what? I'm going to have to go back abroad again because that's the only place I'm going to fit in. And that's how I ended up back in, um, that's how I ended up in Dubai. And and what did Dubai teach you? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking to you right now from, from that city. <laughs> um, having lived here previously for six years myself and, and been an expat for nearly 10 years. Um, so I can probably preempt some of the things that you're about to say <laughs> you know from your experience you you've lived your life as a person of color as a woman in a very male dominated industry and 
had particular experiences and challenges in the locations that you've worked in because of that and have, have made choices because of that, essentially. So how was it different in Dubai for you? Gosh, in the most wondrous and confusing of ways, I think for me, the key thing is I didn't have a clue what I was stepping into. Um, I just saw it as another market. And I think I was not given any basics or teaching or learnings about how to be, how to live in this market from the agency or, you know, the company I worked for. And I think that was that. And it's not just me. I know my colleagues say the same. I just think when someone works in someone moves across the world into a market so different, they do need basic training on, on just how to live um, and how to, how to conduct yourself. So it was a, it was baptism by fire. And, you know, I lived in the marina where most of the expats live in the marina. And um, for me, what was incredible was two different things. First, everyone in the agency where I worked was of colour, apart from like two Westerners from Holland and stuff and the UK. And that's the first time I've worked in a culture, I've worked in an agency where people of colour are the majority. And that to me was the most astounding, again, wonderful thing. Learning about, you know, the girls from Saudi who fly in through their helicopters, you know, uh, the, the guys from India who've kind of like sacrificed everything to come here. And that was the other thing, was learning about the caste system. And that to me, I think, was the biggest learning for me in Dubai was the caste system to get your head round. And then even though I was of colour, because I had this British accent, I was still at the top. And um, it was hard. It was hard seeing the builders who build all these beautiful skyscrapers going past on their buses looking at you when you're walking your dog, you know? And you just think, this isn't quite right. And I worked on projects. I mean, the agency were fabulous because I worked on projects where you had to go into the industrial zone because some of the shops there were in the industrial zone. And I'd go into the industrial zone. And as you know, that's a whole different experience to see how different people live. And for me, it's about the more mixture you get of different cultures, the more you can improve people's lives, which was Walmart's saying, isn't it? Or PNG's saying, it's about making lives better. But that's what this is all about for me. The more you learn, the more you make better, which is why England to me sounds, feels kind of alien now because it's so insular. It's like, oh gosh, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know what you're missing out on. That, that's how do you how do you very, feel about that? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a very interesting point. I mean, I, I've not lived back in the UK for for nearly ten years. And I see interesting things and, and movements and so on when I go back. And I, I still find it quite progressive in many ways in the way that it tackles, um, you know, certain um, certain taboo in inverted commas subjects. Um, let's take the menopause, for example, which has seen a massive increase in the way that um, it's been spoken about and the campaigns around it. You don't get that in the Middle East. You know, you won't get that in Asia. You perhaps won't get that in, in the States. So I think in many ways it's quite progressive, but I do see your point in terms of certainly here. I mean, I worked in advertising here as well, as you know. Um, 
and we had 45 different nationalities working at, at my <laughs> age. Everybody I worked, I don't think I worked with any British people. Um, and I was very happy about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you just get that kind of mix of cultures? And, uh, and I wonder kind of how that has improved your work as well. Incredibly, because I don't take anything from a baseline anymore. And when I look at a brief, and as I say, they have consumer, you know, middle class, 13 to 24. I'm like, yeah, but where do they live? What have they come from? What do they feel like? Can I go and sit with them? Can I go into their homes? Can I talk to them? So I realized that humanity is the most important thing out of all this. Humanity, you know, it's improved the work completely but again they don't quite understand it in the uk yet they don't quite get that depth they're just beginning to which is why i'm working with um twitter next and snapchat because now they realize the deeper the better and i think that's the thing and the agencies i think are only just beginning to get there they're getting so much better but um do you think sorry go on no 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 no, I was, I was going to ask, do you think that comes from stereotyping, essentially? Do you, do you feel that you've managed to sidestep the stereotypes? I think there's a lot of stereotyping. You know, people naturally, no matter who you are, you put people in boxes, even if you don't want to. You know, this, 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 this. People do put people in boxes. Um, I've kind of learned there is no box, you know, there's different cultures, there's different things to understand, different religions to understand, different traditions to understand, but we're all, you know, as I said earlier, it's about humanity, we're all, we're all the same, and we all just want to hopefully do the best for the world. So I think that coming back here, I think the industry here needs to understand that more, but they're working so hard to do that. And they really are. I can see the difference. They really are working hard to do that. Um, I personally, you know, do a lot with mentoring, um, people coming up and talking and lecturing and trying to educate because they are genuinely businesses do want to hold themselves accountable now which I think is amazing because before it was all a little bit token, but now I do see a difference globally, to be honest, that you know, companies, businesses do want to hold themselves accountable and do want to make a difference. So bring us up to date. Where are you now and what are you up to? I'm in London. I'm, to be honest, more than anything, I'm teaching and educating. Um, a lot of agencies are courting me. Um, they're trying to sell me as a package, which is a first. It's not just you're a creative. It's like you're the creative who talks, who lectures, who teaches, who has this global experience, um, which I think, to be honest, is really positive for the industry to think of creatives that way, really positive. For me, right now, it's just about teaching and educating. To me, is like the kind of the, the kind of the core and whether you do that in a role or outside a role, that's the most important thing. We spoke a little bit before about Gen Z. Um, it's, it's an area we haven't spoken about yet in terms of diversity in this chat. Obviously, age diversity is, is one of the many forms. Um, and you work a lot with young people now. And what do you see there? How do you see that playing out where, where D&I is, is concerned from their perspective? 
I think they're more ready than uh, the older generation are. I think they're, um, I think they're frustrated. I think when they want to voice their concerns, the older generations don't necessarily hear what they are saying or understand what they are saying or where they're coming from because the older generations are kind of stuck in their way. So I think kind of Gen Z are incredibly frustrated right now, to be honest with that, but they have the power and they have the power to make change and to influence change. But what they don't have is the experience. So it's kind of a weird mixture where they need us, but they kind of don't, <laughs> you know? So coming together is good. We've got to learn to find a common language. Not just it's talk to each other. Thanks so much for the time. I think your journey has been quite a unique one. <laughs> I think that's for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's so important. What you're doing is making such a big difference in the industry and business. So keep on doing it and I'll keep on supporting. <laughs> Speak soon. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks, Joe. A huge thank you to Joe. I really enjoyed that chat. It was such a unique perspective on race and ethnicity and geography and industry and all sorts of areas in which she's completely broken boundaries. And I wish her all the best in her brand new journey. And that's the end of this podcast. And for those of you who haven't picked us up before, you might not know that we're a podcast that features global DNI allies, activists, and advocates. And like I said at the start, we're really not here to always get things right, but just to open up those conversations. And we would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, leave us a rating and review, some comments. Um, or get in touch if you have a story that you'd like to share as well. And for all things Diversely related, you can find us on LinkedIn or of course connect with us over at diversely.io uh, where there's lots of juicy blogs around diversity related topics as well. And I will catch you next time.